Let's pray. God, as we turn now to the preaching of Your Word, I pray that You will open ears this morning. God, open hearts. Give us understanding to the truth of Your Word. God, I pray that You will help us, God, to see this life as it really is. Help us to see You as You really are. Help us to see our desperate need of Your grace and Your mercy and Your peace. God, open our eyes to Jesus. Father, may we see Him as our Savior and our hope and our God. God, we pray that You'll do that for Grace Church Buchanan. Lord, we've prayed for them all month as we do on occasion, Lord. We pray the same for them. We pray that Pastor Allen will bring forth Your message this morning, that he will be clear in the Gospel, that it will not fall on deaf ears, but the church of Grace Church Buchanan will be strengthened today, that they will go out as they are sent, and they will share the good news of Christ and advance the Gospel. God, we pray that You'll do that for our sister churches here in our own area. We pray for Covenant Community Church and that Pastor Tom will bring forth the message today. Not in any presentation that he has practiced or done throughout the week. But God, as he turns to you in dependence upon you and your word and your truth. I pray that you will speak through Pastor Tom that he will be your instrument of peace. That hearts that souls will be reconciled and brought into Your presence this morning through the preaching of Your Word. That You will strengthen that body. Lord, we pray for Foundation Church and Stafford Baptist and North Stafford Baptist churches. We pray that You will strengthen those fellowships as well. Lord, we pray for those of part of the International Missions Board. Those You've called who are sent out to plant new churches among the unreached. God, we pray that You will be with them this morning, that Your Word will go through them and not fall on deaf ears, but churches will be planted and strengthened that have already begun. That You will strengthen our brothers and our sisters who are working among those who need to hear the Gospel news. Lord, we pray for the Dobie this morning. Over 12 million people lost in the false and wicked religion of Hinduism, thinking that they have to please over 300 million gods. God, I pray that You will free them from that burden, that the good news of Jesus Christ will come to them and they'll receive Your grace and that You'll plant strong churches among the Dobie people. We pray for our brothers and sisters among that group that You will raise up brothers to boldly preach Your Word in their own dialect, that they will understand the truth, and that the Gospel will advance among them, and our brothers and sisters will be strengthened, and more will be brought into the kingdom. God, we pray that this day will be like no other day in the week, that You will use this time through Your Word to do a miraculous transformation. Help us all to see Christ and become more like Christ. It's in Your Word we pray. Amen. 
The book of 1 Timothy is the first of three letters, including 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, often referred to as the pastor's epistles or the pastoral letters because they deal with matters of the church. Like what its focus is to be and how it's to be lived out and defining leadership and keeping doctrinal purity. The content of the letters focus on many of the ongoing issues facing congregations, both back then and still today. It's amazing how relevant these pastoral letters are. Paul is concerned about defending the Christian faith against false teaching and church, church life that's centered around the gospel. These are constant battles for you and I. So going through these pastoral epistles is not just healthy reading for us. These are real help, gospel truth for us today to, to take in and to abide by. Paul gives instruction to fellow workers who are ministering in these churches facing those issues. The pastoral epistles then give us a picture of what life in the church is to be like. How it's supposed to be in the local church. We're starting today the letter of 1 Timothy that's for churches just like ours. Before I get into the exposition of our text this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Because in order to grasp what Paul is writing in his letter to Timothy, we need to understand why he's writing this particular letter. And he tells us right here in the third chapter. He says, I, Paul, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, and there's our key word, so that, here's the purpose, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. I have said on a number of occasions already that the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. Paul is addressing Timothy, but it's meant to be read in all of God's churches. Not just the original congregation in Ephesus where Timothy was, but here in Redeemer Church. All Scripture is for God's people. So we take God's Word today and we submit to its authority and we take seriously whatever it teaches. And we submit and we go wherever God says to go. And we humbly obey. This theme of knowing how to behave in the household of God, of being a pillar of truth, confessing the mystery of godliness, who is Jesus Christ. This theme in 1 Timothy is for us here 
at Redeemer Church. Knowing why then Paul wrote the letter, and that's good to know why he wrote it, let me give you five reasons in particular why we as a church need to be in 1 Timothy this morning. Number one is Christ. This letter gives us a clear description of who Christ is. Three times in 1 Timothy, Christ is called Savior, the one who saves through faith. Christ is the Messiah, the one waited for to come and save God's people. We'll see throughout 1 Timothy how we are to resist the tendency to turn inward into ourselves for answers and significance, and to constantly look to Jesus, who is the only one who saves. Man, do we need this today. We need this today because we live in a day when it seems that we can accomplish whatever we set our minds to, that we can do whatever's in our hearts. The idea that we ourselves need to be saved from God's judgment is appalling to today's world. You need to know and you need to be reminded and I need to be reminded that you and I both, we need a fundamental change. You need to know who Christ really is and your desperate need of him. Christ is also called Lord. He's the one we submit to and we follow and Over and over again in this letter, Paul makes it clear that Jesus Christ is not just a man. He is the God-man. He is God incarnate. He is the living God who came to save sinners. And that leads to our second reason, which is the gospel. The message we as a church receive about Christ is good news. The gospel message is all throughout 1 Timothy. The message that says Christ alone saves is central to Paul's ministry and it's in his writings. And everything that's given to Timothy for the good of the church has the gospel in mind. It is the gospel that keeps us not looking inward to ourselves, but upward to Christ, looking to Christ. We can so easily slip into man-centered teaching if we don't keep the gospel constantly in front of us. And this letter helps us to do that. Number three is godliness. The ESV study Bible says this about 1 Timothy, and I quote, The gospel produces holiness in the lives of believers, and there is no legitimate separation between belief and behavior. Thus, those who profess faith but do not demonstrate any progress in godliness should question their spiritual state. Now, that seems pretty bold, but it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear how belief and behavior are tied. First Timothy draws a line between those who pose as Christians. They may know things about Christ and they may confess some of its, of, of its truths. But those who confess Christ with their hearts and their lives are not in the same line. Those are two different things, two different kinds of people. 
You have some who pretend to follow Christ. They know things about Christ, but they know nothing about Christ and they don't submit or follow Christ. And then you have those, by God's grace, who have humbly submitted themselves to God and they walk in the ways of God by the Spirit. In short, 1 Timothy says, believers lead godly lives. Our society promotes and immerses us into ungodliness in the most vile and shameful ways. We are constantly put in circumstances and we're bombarded with ways of this world that are completely shameful and vile. But followers of Christ We live differently in the grace of God regardless of what's thrown at us. Paul reminds us that our lives are to reflect God's holiness. Your testimony and together as a church, our witness depend on it. Next, number four is leadership. Paul says, he tells Timothy that good Christ-centered leadership is necessary for a church to be what it's supposed to be. Church leaders care for the church. They shepherd souls and they care about doctrine. They provide the church with teachings that guide in the truth. Paul warns Timothy in the letter what to do if there are those who depart the truth. And we are to heed those warnings also. This church needs leaders who are surrendered to all that they are to Christ. That they no longer live for themselves. They are living for Christ on behalf of the church, pointing to the truth. Otherwise, if you don't have that, you will be led down a false road. You need leaders who give you only Christ, who preach Christ, and him crucified. The fifth reason we should be in 1 Timothy is church life. The household of God ought to have behavior that conforms to the gospel. Paul tells of our life being ordered by God within the church. It is not something that's optional to the follower of Jesus Christ. It's something that's essential to believers. Paul tells of our life being ordered by God within the church, and this is foundational, especially in a church plant. We have entered our third year as a church, and we're, we're still young, so we need this truth. We need that foundational truth about church life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, Do not lay any other foundation than Christ. He is our foundation. The life of our church ought to be shaped by Him. This letter is full of foundational truths for our lives together and our ministries, how we organize, and it points us ever closer to our risen Savior. These are five excellent, necessary, five good reasons for us to be in 1 Timothy. I hope you gain much 
in this study and we grow much as a church in these areas and we share in the blessings of living in these truths. So knowing why Paul wrote to, uh, wrote to Timothy, that it's for the church, that it's meant for us to take in, to believe, and to live out, and the reasons why we as a body today need to be in the book, let's now look at the first two verses of this important letter. Paul begins in verse 1 by introducing himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. This was a typical style of greeting during that time. The one writing the letter would introduce themselves and then say to who they're writing to. Paul is the writer of the letter and Timothy is the one receiving it. That's important to remember as we go through this series. The way it's written is from one person to another person. It's personal. And there are reasons for one man to be writing, which we'll go over. And this causes us then to look into the context of why this man was writing this letter to this other man and what was going on during that time. When we gather all that's being said and why it's being said, It's important. It's important because otherwise we would skip over all of the context and we would go right into the application trying to find some relevancy for what's written in our own lives. And we would completely miss what's written for us today. So we see it as a letter and we put it in context and we gather from that what's needed in our church. This keeps us grounded in the truth, not going off on some side trail or ending up with a mess of teachings that fail to honor Christ. It keeps us in the truth. Now, a few words about Paul. It is always good to be reminded of the one who wrote much of the New Testament. He's mentioned a lot in the Christian church. And we are constantly looking at what he wrote. So as not to confuse between what is man-made and God-given, it's good to remember the life of Paul and the fact that he's not writing on his own. His ministry was God-given. Paul gives us a good summary of his own life in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. This is who Paul, at the time, known as Saul, this is who he was prior to Christ. A Pharisee, a well-educated Jewish man who was in every way Religious. In every way, he could check all the boxes of what you're supposed to do in order to look good or to look religious. And he made sure other Jews were keeping in line. He was so set on people following the law and the laws that they created to keep the law 
that he physically enforced violence upon those who wouldn't keep those laws. When some heard the truth of the gospel of Christ and they began to follow Jesus, he says he persecuted them. Paul was a legalist, an enforcer of rules who threatened others to get them to do the same. Before Paul was converted, he hated Christians. He was a zealot who saw Christians as a threat. He later calls himself chief of sinners for how he was. We're even given the instance of him approving of the murder of Stephen in the book of Acts. You see, Paul, when he was Saul, he was an enemy of God, and therefore he was an enemy of the church. And then we know of the miraculous encounter on the road to Damascus, where Saul became Paul the Apostle. The Lord Jesus met him on the road, and from that point onward, Paul was completely transformed into a minister of the Gospel. Now about the word apostle. There are some today who call themselves apostles. You need to look into why they would call themselves that. The word apostle itself, the word apostle means sent one. It's translated sometimes as messenger or ambassador. Barnabas is called an apostle in the book of Acts, in Acts 14, 14. There are others in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. In 2 Corinthians 8, 23, there are apostles of the churches. These are sent ones. They are messengers, ambassadors. In a technical, literal sense of the word, we are all ambassadors, sent ones of Christ. But we don't call ourselves apostles. We are ambassadors. We make that distinction because apostle refers to a group of men who witness the incarnate Christ ministering on this earth, who were called and given specific missions by Him. We call them the apostles. This includes the original 12 disciples and then Matthias, who God called who had already chosen before Judas betrayed Jesus. And then there's Paul. This is why Paul introduces himself this way. Paul, an apostle of our God. His was a ministry that was commissioned by Christ for the foundation of the church. If today someone calls themselves an apostle... And generally, when they do that, they don't mean ambassador. They typically mean they are to be followed blindly. Stay away from them. Look out for them. Separate yourselves from them. Do not follow them on Facebook. Do not read their books and materials. Unless it is to refute them. But definitely, definitely do not trust what they say. The apostles who had that kind of authority are long gone. Paul has been dead a long time. And the authority that the apostle had are now written in the book that you have in your lap this morning. We don't need the apostles' authority 
anymore. God has given us His Word as our authority. Now there's something else about Paul that that we need to recognize, that we need to see. Right here in the first words of this letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, tells us that no one is beyond the reach of God's saving grace. No one. Let that sink in a minute. You just heard me go through who Saul who Paul was when he was Saul before his conversion, before receiving grace. And now what God has done that says no one is beyond God's saving grace. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've become. God's grace is for sinners, even the chief of sinners. Many of us need that truth this morning. Maybe for yourselves. Maybe for a loved one. God calls the chief of sinners to His grace. And so we pray for mercy. Paul, a sinner had his eyes blinded on the road to Damascus, but that was the point when he really began to see. See who Christ is, see who himself, who he is, and then what life is. He eventually regains his sight, and God then gives him this wonderful ministry of advancing the gospel. Now, it wasn't always fun, But it was a wonderful ministry of advancing the gospel. No longer focused on temporary matters, but honed in and living for the glory of the eternal God. That is what he says next in verse 1. Paul writes, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. Paul was under the authority of God. Paul did not say that he earned his position. Timothy, you need to listen to me. You have seen me. You know how committed I am, how devoted, how much I know, how much I've studied. He doesn't say any of that. He says, by the command of God. The church did not give him his ministry. God is the one who appointed him as minister of the gospel. God is always the one who initiates He calls, He saves, and He appoints. Paul is writing to Timothy, but he wants him to know what he has to say comes from the command of God. And that's going to be important as we go through this letter and Paul writes to Timothy what Timothy's been confronting there in Ephesus. But this needs to also be recognized This is why we are under the command of what Paul writes. It wasn't just for Timothy, it's for us. It's not because Paul was some great leader or some macho man to emulate, but he writes under and with the authority of God. His ministry and the ministry of this church, what God has given to Redeemer Church comes by command of God. So we submit and we obey because this is God speaking to our church about how we are to be as Christ followers. Paul also mentions who God is. 
He ends verse 1 with, By command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Paul wants Timothy, and therefore us, to know who is the one giving this authority. Just because someone says they're speaking on behalf of God does not mean we automatically follow them. There are many today all around the world and even in our own community who say they are speaking the words of God. But unless it is God our Savior in Jesus Christ, they are speaking of a God of their own making. It is a false God. There is no other God except the God that Paul speaks of here. Paul identifies for us right here in these first two verses four distinguishing marks about God in his introduction. They help us to discern between the true words from God and those who promote lies. Number one, God is Savior. Number two, God is Jesus Christ, our hope. And then down in verse two, God is Father. And number four, God is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Many people who believe in some divine reality say there is a God who's in control of life. But the true God is the Savior in this life. This means we are all in need of saving. And this is an ongoing theme all throughout Scripture. You and I are in need of saving. We don't just live under some divine authority. We need God Himself to save us. But save us from what? From our sin? No, it's the judgment of our sin. We need to be clear on that. We don't just need to be saved from doing wrong things. We need to be saved from the judgment of who we are as sinners. More clearly, His judgment of our sin. We have a sin problem that deserves God's wrath. And unless we're saved, we will come under this judgment. But God is Savior. Next, God is Jesus Christ, our hope. The God who saves is called the Messiah, the Christ. Christ means Messiah. Paul tells us later in verse 15, this is the gospel memory verse. As a church, we're memorizing that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God has come so that we can be saved from the judgment of our sin. He has given us hope then. And hope has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. Third, God is Father. He says that in in verse 2 there. From the beginning of his letter, Paul is distinguishing God from false gods. The true God is a triune God. He's three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God, the, God the Father has initiated this plan for the church. It is the Son who accomplishes it, who has accomplished it. And the Holy Spirit seals it for all eternity. This is also important as we go forward and we begin talking about the false teachings. The only truth about God is given in these scriptures. 
The writings that tell of him being a holy trinity. There is not God and then his son who's lesser. No, there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. The Son is no less divine. So you have God the Father. You have the one who saves. He gives hope and purpose through His Spirit to all that we do as a church and in your personal lives. And next, God is Jesus Christ, our Lord. This brings us back to the authority of God. We worship Christ who is God and we call Him Lord, our Master. The one we follow. His teachings are for our instruction in obedience. And then Paul writes in verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Turn with me please to Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 19. It's page 981 in the church Bible. When Paul was in prison, he was writing to the Philippians And when you come to the second chapter, verse 19, he says this. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. This relationship between Paul and Timothy was special. It was a special relationship between them. Paul said he had no one else like Timothy. Timothy had proven that his focus was like Paul's. Christ, uh, Paul, was sold out to Jesus Christ. He was all about the gospel. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then you have Timothy beside him saying the same thing. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm here for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy had served with him and proven His worth. There were others who had looked out for their own selves, but Timothy was all about Christ. He obviously was leading the church at this time in Ephesus when Paul wrote to him. He's not described as an elder. He was probably put in the position of leading the church there by Paul. Paul urges Timothy in verse 3, to stay there in Ephesus and make sure the teachings within the church were grounded in the true doctrines of the faith. So that tells us that Timothy had some kind of leadership where he could go and he could tell the church what they were to do, how they were to be. He says to Timothy, still looking at verse 2, he says to Timothy, grace and mercy and peace. These are from God. Grace, mercy, and peace. Now Paul doesn't say in some sort of broad, generalized way, Timothy, I know you're having a rough time, just hang in there. 
I know what you're facing. Just do what we've been doing. Just some kind of generalized hope. No, he said, look to Jesus for hope. He is our hope. He doesn't say, do you need answers? Look to Jesus. He doesn't just end it there. He says, the hope that Jesus gives is gracious, merciful, giver of peace. The hope that Jesus provides is right there in verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace. And this is what Paul is reminding Timothy as he's going to go and face these false teachers in Ephesus to be reminded of what he has received from God and what he needs to stand in the truth is grace, mercy, and peace. We need God's undeserved favor. That's grace. Paul is grounding Timothy once again, or at least reminding him, because of what he f- he's facing, of the gracious love of God that was given to Timothy. Timothy and every believer of Jesus Christ is set free from sin in Christ Jesus. This is by God's grace. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. There's no negotiating with Him for it. It's a free gift from God to set sinners free, these sinners who deserve judgment. And in His grace, God gives what? He gives mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us His mercy. He shows compassion on sinners. And knowing we are trapped in our sin, that there's nothing we can do about it, that we're helpless, we're guilty. We are in a debt for our sin that we could never repay, the payment of which becomes death. But God renders us guiltless because of Christ who paid that debt for our sin. He died in our place so we can be set free. And this ushers in peace. You see how one leads to another? Grace, mercy, and peace. Sin puts us at odds against God, which is frightful and a horrible place to be. And Christ, by the grace of God, reconciles us to Him. And because we are now reconciled to God in Christ, eternal grace is continually given to us The things of this world, whatever we face today, while they may press on us, they don't consume us because we have peace with God. We can face them with Christ and fulfill His purposes knowing that we are His forever. Now this is for all who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Remember, I made that distinction between those who profess then there are those who confess and continue to look to Christ and their lives are changed by His grace. What words of encouragement for us this morning. What a word of grace. What a way to introduce this letter. Just in two short verses, we're reminded of God's saving power by His grace. We're reminded of who our God is. We're reminded that Timothy, along with us, can stand forever in the presence of God because 
of Jesus Christ and what he has done. What a way to introduce this letter. Paul has given us hope in God, our Savior, who is Jesus Christ. The good news that he saves sinners and begins for us then the way we ought to live, the way we ought to be in our lives and as a church. We are to be centered upon Christ and his gospel message. Let's pray.